Hello, everybody, and welcome to the digitally uploaded podcast, the companion podcast to digitallydownloaded.net. I am Matt Sainsbury. I am the editor-in-chief and host of this week's or this month's podcast. And we have an all-star lineup with us this week. We have Harvard. Hello, Harvard. Hello, hello. Remember when we used to do this weekly? That was a lot of work. It was. I think this format is better for our sanity and we produce a better show too. I like to think that. And we've got Trent. Hello, Trent. Hello, I am also here. You are. That's good. So before we get into things, we've got some exciting news. The day before we recorded this podcast, we were an, a, given an award at the Australian IT Journalism Awards. We got a highly commended for the best gaming coverage. So we are officially one of the best now. That's good to know. Um, it's good news, isn't it? It's nice yeah, to be rewarded. <laughs> How long have we been around for? We've been like 12 years now? We have been, yeah, we've been plugging away at this for about 12 years now. So I, I like to think that the combination of the, the magazine that we've launched, as well as the website redesign and all those bits and pieces has contributed to us getting that uh, accolade. It's certainly a much more professional outfit than we were even a couple of years ago. So yeah, it's nice. It's very, very nice. Congratulations to everybody. Um, that definitely wasn't me. That was a team effort and uh, the podcast was a big part of that. So yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening as well. So what have you been playing this week, Harvard? Uh, this is going to be a really strange choice, but I've been playing a lot of Saints Row 3. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's bannable from this podcast. I don't know why. I just, I, <laughs> It's very compulsive. Like, when you boot it up, you always have something to do. And I think that's what I needed this week is just some stuff to do. Well, I mean, you could always play Gotham Knights. That's just endless you could stuff play to do. Anything, I guess. <laughs> Gotham Knights is terrible. I'm so sad that that was like my one blockbuster <laughs> that I'll play this year. God, that was a bad game. Trent, what about you? What have you been playing? Uh, well, I actually have recently played Saints Row, but like the newer one, and I gave up on it. So I don't know. Like at the start, it's like very like Western cowboy ish, and like you go around and you just go through like a maze, like linear section, and just shoot out everywhere and then all of a sudden you're in like an old timey town and by that point i was like really really drained out from like the whole linear introduction section i'm like you know what i'm sick of this game and then mm. i haven't picked it up since i did hear that that one was not up to expectations which is unfortunate for fans of saint rose but um who knows they might be able to bring it back and do something else later all right cool you've been playing good games that's good We'll uh, <laughs> we'll go to some music and then we'll come back and we'll we'll uh, chat the games of November. It's a big month. November being the blockbuster month these days, uh, we've got a lot of games to, to talk about. I'm 
Okay, so the games of November. There have been, or there will be a lot of big releases this month. November is really the month where the blockbusters come these days. It is where all the major publishers get their stuff in ready for the Christmas rush. So, yeah, it's a, it's not such a big month for the indie games, I guess, but pretty much all the major publishers have at least one big thing coming. So let's start. Uh, on November 3, we have The Chant. Now, what is The Chant? Where did I have that? <laughs> Uh, I've got my list here, and I'm very disorganized, so I apologize. The Chant. Uh, the Chant, the Chant is a single-player, third-person horror action-adventure game set on a remote island spiritual retreat. That's why it caught my attention. Spiritual retreat. I, I do like they, the idea of that. That could be creepy. That could be they very missed creepy. Halloween. They did miss Halloween. You always know when a horror game releases in November, you always know that that's because they've missed Halloween and the, the release date. And you know that some producers getting fired for it, but they've still got to release the game anyway. So that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just missing Halloween by a couple of days too. That's, that's not good. Anyway, uh, if you're not burned out on horror games by November 3, the chant looks like it could be a good one. Uh, that's coming to a PlayStation 5, Xbox Series, and PC. On November 4, we've got Harvest Teller, which is a Square Enix uh, farming game, which is coming for Switch and PC. Um, and that's it. So it's kind of a Switch console exclusive, I guess. Uh, I I'm looking forward to that. Uh, there's been a lot of farming games released in the last couple of years, especially on Switch. 
Um, I really don't know if I want it yet. Like every (laughs) time I see like advertising for it or it's in the Nintendo Direct, I'm like, do I really want this game? Why are they trying to sell this down my throat? (laughs) It's because they it's because they never put it by itself. It's always in one of those huge directs, and you're like, oh yeah, I'd probably play that, but like it's not the star of the show. It's also a, a Square Enix release when Square Enix is releasing like a major blockbuster every week at the moment. It's yeah, crazy. they need to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they need I to know. take a breath. I know. There's um uh, coming out like we're recording this video before it happens, but coming out just a week before Harvestella is uh, Star Ocean, which is going to be a massive epic blockbuster thing. So uh, JRPG. So it's it's crazy how much stuff Square Enix has got coming. Anyway, if you do like your farming games then Harvestella is definitely one you should have on your agenda. Speaking of, I missed it, on November 2, so two days before Harvestella, uh, we've got Doraemon Story of Seasons, Friends of the Great Kingdom coming as well, which is coming to PlayStation 5, Switch, and PC. Now, that is the second Doraemon Story of Seasons game, and as the name suggests, it is Doraemon, the blue robot cat that everyone in Japan absolutely loves, crossed with Story of Seasons, which is what Harvest Moon evolved into. The first one was really, really good. Um, I'm expecting this next one to be just as good. Story of Seasons doesn't really drop the ball, unlike Harvest Moon these days. Um, and yeah, Draymond is a good addition to that formula. So very much looking forward to that. That comes out on November 2. On November 8, and I really hate to say this because I hate mentioning this name on this damn podcast, Sonic comes out. <laughs> Sonic Frontiers. <laughs> I was like, on. who could that be? There's a quite a few <laughs> games that I could have applied to. Sonic. Uh, for people that actually care about Sonic, um, it comes out on PC, PS5, PS4, Switch, Xbox One, and Xbox Series. So it's coming out on everything, and everything. you'll be able to play you it on watch, everything. This will be the best Sonic ever, and you would have to eat those words, Matt. Trent, you can't see me. I'm rolling my eyes. Sonic's never good. Matt doesn't even like the good Sonics. I don't even like the movies. And everybody else likes the movies. Screw Sonic. <laughs> He's a Mario man through and through. <laughs> yeah, especially when it's Chris Pratt playing Mario. That's going to be excellent. Not really. Uh, football Manager comes out on November 8th. The annual release of Football Manager. This year it's coming out on PlayStation 5 for the first time, which is actually pretty neat. It's also coming out on iPhone, PC, Switch, Xbox One and Xbox Series. Some of those releases, such as iPhone and Switch, will be the Football Manager Touch version. Uh, the rest will be the full game. And yeah, if you like your spreadsheet simulators, then you're going to lose a lot of time into that one. I do every year. Every single year this thing comes out and I become obsessed with taking a team from like the semi-professional leagues in the English competition up to the EPL. I just have this obsession with doing so. It drives me nuts because it's difficult, but I do it anyway. Um, takes a couple of hundred hours it's stupid how much time that game wastes and you are you're just looking at spreadsheets so somehow that's compelling it works on november sorry i see the appeal the epl the appeal oh the appeal yeah yeah well i mean serious talk here as somebody who likes jrpgs the chances are if you do like jrpgs chances are you're going to like football manager because really they're basically the same thing they're all about managing stats and stuff uh when you boil it right down so um and and they're both about storytelling football manager is much more emergent storytelling like do the does the trade that you just made 
pull off for your team and have you done a good job as a manager? But it really is a, a weirdly, very heavily story driven thing for something that doesn't have cutscenes and whatnot. But um, yeah, you end up creating these little stories as you go along. On November 8, we have uh, Oddworld Soul Stream Op Odd Optimized Edition coming out on Switch. Now, is that a game that's already out or is that an exclusive for the Switch for some reason? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what Oddworld is, but I just see the name every now and then. Yeah, it's been around for a long, long time. It was a PlayStation kind of darling back in the day. It's like a puzzle platformer series. I don't know what it's like now. I haven't played the more recent ones, but the, the early ones were puzzle platformers with a, with a, with a warped sense of humor. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just remember that it went, the series went on hiatus for quite a while. And when it came back, a lot of people were very excited. So I hope they're still enjoying it. And I hope this one is good for them. On November 9, the first really big blockbuster of the month comes out, God of War Ragnarok for PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4. And that's going to be huge. We all know it. We all basically know what review score people are going to have to give it. Otherwise, the fans will yell at them. So there you go. You know everything like you need to know about this game. PS4. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um, yeah, for, for people that haven't upgraded yet, it's good to have the, the game available. It's just going to be Sony's big game for the year. That's all I really have to say about that. No, it's going to be slammed in reviews because it has the same name as all the Marvel film fours. And it's, going slammed, it's going to be slammed in reviews because of that. We have been having a lot of Ragnaroks lately, I will say. Yeah, the, the, the obsession across all entertainment industries with Norse mythology is, is fascinating at the moment. It moved. It was, uh, yeah, it moves from place to place. Um, it was Greek mythology before, and now it's Norse. So God of War has moved with it. On November 11, if you are very nostalgic for Atari, there's Atari 50, the anniversary collection that's coming out on PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, and Xbox Series X. Now, I don't think this one is like a WarriorWare microgame remake of it. I think that it's just 50 games from Atari, is it? Is that right? Did that WarioWare game come out? Yeah, it crashed and burned. It was terrible. Oh, no. Nobody liked it. it. Nobody liked it. it. Yeah, uh, that's because nobody liked it. So good. Maybe this it is was. just like the, the redemption arc where it's like, okay, we, we tried we tried making something new and, and let's just drop our games as they are. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Atari's a funny company these days. A very funny company. Really weird. They're investing in hotels and casinos and stuff, but just weird company on november 11 if the nostalgic wasn't for you well here's some more nostalgia actually tactics ogre reborn comes out now i've been playing that for preview i've got a preview video up on ddnet right now and it is exactly the tactics ogre you remember from the psp and the super nintendo before it. it's excuse me it's exactly the same game um and that's not a bad thing at all this was pretty much the game that created the genre as far as i know uh, it came before Final Fantasy Tactics, way back in 1995. and Not Fire Emblem? Uh, do you really consider Fire Emblem the same kind of tactics? I guess it is a tactics RPG, but I don't know. It's very the... different. Yeah, the feel is very different, I would admit. Yeah, I, I think Tactics Ogre is more... Like, I, I think of Fire Emblem as more this kind of... I, I don't think of it as a tactics RPG. I know it's technically one, but to me, it's more like this story-driven character RPG thing that just has, happens to have a tactical combat system, whereas Tactics Ogre and Five Final Fantasy Tactics is 
explicitly a tactics game first and foremost. Anyway, that's just my personal definition. But yeah, whatever the whatever the case, tactics ogre is much it is actually the one that's responsible for that kind of sub genre within the tactics JRPG series. So if you haven't played it before, give it a go. I'm hoping that a lot of people do, and Square Enix actually brings this series back because we haven't had a new tactics ogre, a new new one since the Game Boy Advance. It's been a long time. Um, on November 15, if you haven't played it on the many other platforms it has already been released on, East 8, Lacrimosa of Dana comes out on, like I said, on the PS5. So it is one that the East fans have particular fondness for. So Wait, you'll be able to play eight it. 8 is Lacrimosa? Yeah, 8. And they Did Did they really also release 9 on it? Uh, Noctis is, uh, sorry... Nox, Monstrum Nox, yeah. Monstrum Nox is coming to the PlayStation 5. It's not there yet. You can play it on the PS5 because the PS4 version's there. But mm. uh, the PS5 version is not till next year, I think. Interesting. Yeah. So They don't need to be on PS5. They're not extremely graphically Well, un- games, unless but... they're going to, to massively updo the character models and then give you the swimsuit DLC, I'm not really interested. But <laughs> if they do that, then I'll play it again. Lana was pretty good in that game. On uh, November 15, Siberia, The World Before, comes out on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series, and PC. Siberia is a very traditional point-and-click adventure series. Um, we're talking Mist and Zork, and, well, Zork is more text adventure, but, you know, that kind of really old-school approach to to point-and-click adventure games. Like uh, and I think Sword and like Sierra games. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that's probably a better example than Zork's. The Sierra, Sierra games and the LucasArts games from the yesteryear and stuff. Uh, I think this one will be much the same from memory. And this is really going from memory here. This is the last game that the guy that was the writer behind it did before he passed away. So mm-hmm. uh, he was a comic book artist. I can't remember his name now. Benoit, something rather. Um, he was... <laughs> I feel stupid for not remembering his name. He was a well-regarded comic book uh, artist and he wrote the Siberia series. They are actually well known for having pretty good narratives and a really good character in Kate. And uh, yeah, this might be his last work. So check it out. I I don't know if you'd need to have played the first three before this one, but uh, if you haven't, then they're all readily available anyway. So you should give them a go. They're actually very good. Uh, something a bit lighter on November 15 as well. Garfield Lasagna Party comes out on Switch. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so sad out. Alan isn't here to make fun of it. <laughs> hey, Alan liked the Garfield Kart game, so he probably did liked it. Uh... He did. Everyone liked Garfield Kart. It was actually a surprisingly good game. Wait, um, what? It was. Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of a different kart game that was bad. Okay, that's yeah. nice. No, Garfield Kart was surprisingly good. Uh, and... I'm all for more Mario Party type games. That's what I think Garfield oh, is under. Is it like a Mario Party game? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure With that's Garfield. We've Garfielded. Yeah. So <laughs> I just want them to epic Mickey Garfield and have it all like all the memes of like bad Garfield and they're all gritty and stuff like that. Why can't they just do that with Garfield? What are you like talking about? Garfield's always Garfield. bad Garfield. Garfield's always bad Garfield. Always. Gar- Garfield's meant to be for kids, not like you know, Reddit. No, Garfield's, Garfield's for like burnt out adults. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Who read the comment and be like, oh, yeah, I would be like that too if I was a cat. Yeah, the whole I hate Mondays thing, that's not for kids, dude. <laughs> that's absolutely speaking to people like us. Um, all right. So on November 16, we've got the next big, huge blockbuster of the month coming. 
Call of Duty Warzone 2.0. If you like your Call of Duties, then you can duty all over this one. It's coming to PlayStation 5, PS4, PC, Xbox One, and Xbox Series. If you enjoy your war crimes, there you go. You can celebrate them in style just like every other. Um, yeah, well, I'm not going to go any further with that. I'll get in trouble. But, um, but is it going to be a now? good war crime game? It's going to be. we need to know. Uh, I'm sure the people that like Call of Duty will enjoy this one. They enjoy committing war crimes in virtual worlds, so I'm Matt, sure they'll be able to do that in this question. one. Is mm-hmm. Warzone the the PUBG like battle royale? Oh, you hate this term, but like the you know battle royale style one, or is zero it idea? Have zero idea? <laughs> no idea whatsoever. Um, oh. I did. <laughs> the last Call of Duty I played was the one that had Ronald Reagan in it, and I did not approve of it. And I don't even remember remember what that one was called. The one I played before that was the one with Kevin Spacey in it. And I did not approve that of that one. That was a long either. time ago. Yeah. Not a fan See, of I know it's bad form to say the Kevin Spacey one was good. But... Every, so every so often, Activision takes us off their blacklist and gives us a code <laughs> for, for a Call of Duty game. And then after my review, we go back on the blacklist and it's a couple of years again before we hear from them. So... Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if we're on the blacklist right now. I don't know if we're getting the code. If we do, I'm just then... imagining someone at Activision looking at the media list and being like, hey, these guys have a Lizzie Award. Why, why aren't they on our blacklist? And then it comes up, that's they're it. like, oh, yeah, that's why they're on the blacklist. <laughs> well, uh, I'll shotgun the Call of Duty so we can stay not on the blacklist. <laughs> Game of the uh, Year, 10 out of 10. Yeah, I'm sure it will be, Trent. I'm sure. On the same day as Call of Duty, if you like games, are actually this is gonna be good. Cardfight Vanguard Dear Days comes out on Switch. That's a card game, which will be good, I think. Cardfight's all right, isn't it? I don't think I've ever played a cardfight game, actually, but I think it's been around a long time. I don't love it, but I hear it's got its fans. Yeah, that's a, I think that's the impression I get, too. It's not like Yu-Gi-Oh! in terms of being that massive property, but it has been plugging along for a long time now, and most card games, if they don't have... Something about them don't last nearly that long. So, mm. yeah, that that's my impression of Card Fight Vanguard. So the next one is an exclusive to Switch. You'll only be able to play it on that console. So if you've got one, then there you go. On November eighteen, we've got Adventure Arcadium. Arcadia. <laughs> Can't even say it. The Fractured Continent. It's too early in the morning. That comes out on Switch, PC, and PS4. That's a P Cube game. Um, so it'll be an indie thing. I think it's an RPG for a memory. I'll just quickly check. I'm looking through my list. Uh, where are we? Where are we? That name could be anything. That name yeah. could be an arcade game for all, like <laughs> Arcadium. Yeah, it could it could be anything? Um, but like I said, it, it's uh, it's an RPG. I think I'm just pulling it up now on my little list here. Where are you? I'm going to go Can't be with bothered anime girls and RPG. You'll see it on the trailer. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see what exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Harvard's uh, editing brilliance is going to make this kind of black space where I'm not saying anything useful, interesting. Um, yeah, here we go. Found it finally. So it is a fully fledged strategy RPG in the world of Class of Heroes. Wow. Now I'm interested. So Class of Heroes was an excellent dungeon-crawling RPG from the PSP era, oh. uh, wizardry-like. So, yeah, this is where this one's coming from. It's actually got some weight behind it. 
Unfortunately, it's going to do absolutely nothing because also on the same day, on November 18, Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet release. Yeah, that's a really bad day to release an RPG. That same day as Pokemon. <laughs> what? That crept on us really quick. Yeah. People were memeing about it for a while. And I feel like Game Freak is leaning into the memes now. <laughs> they're trying to stoke up the fan base to make memes. I am I'm honestly a little bit surprised that they've released that this this year. I would have thought that Arceus, which was only at the start of the year, would have been enough to sustain Pokemon for at least a year. Like the, think, the releases are coming more and more quickly. <laughs> I said this when Arceus came out. I think that they want you to be playing Pokemon content with a hundred percent uptime. Like you always have some Pokemon content that you're playing on the side. Yeah. I don't know about that. Like for me, having a gap between these things is a good thing. But um Oh no, it's a, I agree. I think it's good to have a gap between some of the games, but they I think that their intention is just have some franchise content out there. Yeah. Fair enough. Um I guess from, but from a business was strategy. also yeah, also sort of like a prequel in that wait, but I'm wording this really badly. <laughs> it was sort of like, you know, like this is the, where we're going to move yeah. Pokemon. Yeah, like this, this is a spin-off, but this is where we're going to move Pokemon towards. So it was kind of like, get excited, the new games are coming out kind of thing. So well, maybe there's not going to be Pokemon all the time. It, it It is possible that they weren't expecting Arceus to be particularly well received. Like they thought it was experimental. They were trying something different. And if it didn't pull off, then they've got the big game coming at the end of the year. That That's possibly what happened. Um, and then the, the Arceus was actually a was actually a very good game that was very well received. So <laughs> um that's possibly what happened. Who knows? I don't I don't presume to to be in the minds of the people managing Pokemon, the biggest media property in history. Uh also on November 18, again a very different game. It's not an RPG, but why would you release anything on the same day as Pokemon? The Dark Pictures anthology, The Devil in Me comes out. It, it was another another horror game that missed the Halloween window, so people getting fired over in supermassive games, but that's coming to PS5, PS4, Xbox One, Xbox Series, and PC. That's the biggest swerve from Pokemon you could imagine. Yeah. Definitely but still, a different target market. I, d- I don't know. I don't know. People just like Pokemon. I, I think Pokemon's that game that's just so big that everybody likes it. It's not... It, it, you know, if, you, if you've got the budget to buy one game then you're still going to be tossing up between those two. But mm. The Devil in Me looks all right, I guess. Um, it's based on a serial killer this time around. Yeah, it's and like a Silent Hill Amzy thing. Yeah, and it's uh, set in a haunted hotel. Well, not a haunted hotel, but a, a murder hotel. Uh, and it's a, kind of based on a true story. And yeah, it looks all right. I mean, these games are pretty reliable. I haven't not enjoyed one yet. I, I do wish that, because the concept of Dark Pictures, right, was that it was an anthology of horror that was going to take you through all the different genres of horror. And I like that concept. The problem I've had with this series is that they all play too similar to one another to really represent the genre. So really, it's mm-hmm. just four horror games that are all vaguely different in terms of theme, but really, they're they're just horror games. So, um, yeah. That, that's my disappointment with this series. Uh, I'm going to play The Devil in Me and probably enjoy it, but I, I don't have any expectations. It's going to be my favorite horror game of all time. 
on November 22. Here's a game that I am probably irrationally excited for. It's probably going to be terrible, but I am really looking forward to it. It is uh, Gungrave Gore. And this is coming to us. Well, Gungrave has been around for a while. It was originally a PlayStation 2 game that did quite well uh, within a niche, I guess. It was one of those niche hits. And I'm pretty sure that led to an anime. Like this was one of those cases of the game being first. Uh, And it's been on hiatus for a long time, but they've dusted it off. It's coming to PS5, PS4, PC, Xbox One, and Xbox Series. What kind of characterizes this game is that it is monumentally, monumentally uh, violent. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be extremely gory, big action. Comes to us from a Korean developer, I think. And it does look really good. Like the, the visuals of it are excellent. So I am really excited for it in saying that I'm expecting I'll probably be disappointed by it because it is quite niche. On November 22, we've got Just Dance 2023 edition coming for PlayStation 5, Switch, and Xbox Series X. So people that do like their dancing can do this new one. But the thing that gets me, right? is this feature list has something that just weirds me out completely. So it's got online multiplayer for the first time. That's a good thing for people that enjoy dancing um, can play it online. That's fine. But it's got 3D immersive worlds. What the f- does that even mean with regards to Just Dance? Like, is this a metaverse thing that they're trying to pull on? Like, is that is that what it is? Because... Yeah, I can't imagine that. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Box art I, I don't like, understand. This is what's new. I don't understand what 3D immersive worlds means for a game where you select a dance from a menu and then <laughs> like, do you walk? Maybe from... there's like career mode. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I haven't played a Just Dance game in a long time, so I don't know how they've evolved. But yeah, I, I just can't conceptualize this 3D immersive worlds thing that they're talking about. It's Ubisoft or Ubisoft, I guess. On November 22, we've got Evil West coming, which is coming for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, PC, Xbox Series X, and Xbox One. Um, it's a horror game set in the West. So that's a good combination for me. I've always the enjoyed West of that. What? Sorry? The West of Oh, you mean like the like Western, Western yeah. genre? Yeah, 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 Westerns. So the good <laughs> I don't know why ugly. I really thought you meant like the West Western, what is it? Like Western society or whatever. No, no, no it's think, the think truest the, of horror movies. <laughs> the good and the bad and the ugly meets vampires. So there you go. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. It'll be fun. I'm I'm pretty sure that'll be fun. That's definitely a, a mix of genres I like. On uh, November 25, we've got a little art. Uh, well, not art. I don't know if it's artsy or not. A little indie game called The Outbound Ghost coming for PlayStation Five, PlayStation Four, Switch, and PC. I'm mentioning this because it does look like it'll be a, a charmer. The Outbound Ghost is an adventure RPG about helping ghosts ascend to the afterlife. So, and it's got a cute little ghost, like we're talking Casper style ghost on, mm. on the box art. Is that so, the one which looks drawn, which occasionally it pops up on my Twitter feed? It looks like a little drawn ghost and it's like walking around. Is that that one? I don't know now. Yeah. I'm going to Google search it and tell you. Uh, yes, it's all drawn. Nice. It's pretty. 
Actually, yeah, it does look really nice. Um, oh, I really Mario, like Mario Paper Mario style. Yeah, that's so cute. Yeah, that's cute. Yeah, there's a few okay. paper a Paper Mario style indie games which are like in development, which seems to be popping up on my Twitter feed lately. So, uh, it's, it's uh, almost... this was one of those sort of ones. Yeah. The N64 um, nostalgia cycle is almost upon us. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the case. Uh, we're probably going to get a lot of N64 style games over the next couple of years. Um, back we to need the block. some cruising nostalgia. <laughs> that's what we need. <laughs> back, back to the blockbusters on November 29. EA has Need for Speed Unbound coming for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, no. PlayStation 5, Xbox Series, and PC. Is this the first Need for Speed that's only on the new generation of consoles? That was not be. even on like PS4. No. So is it, is it the first Need for Speed for a while though? It's uh, a good question. <laughs> Honestly, because this is like more gritty and new. Like they've got like a whole new logo. They've got a whole new attitude. Haven't you seen your their branding the other week? They where they updated it and it was all like. You know, Need for Speed's like gritty and awesome now. That uh, early two thousands uh, underground song. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. Sorry, <laughs> um, I haven't played Need for Speed for quite some time. Uh, probably the PS three. Uh, Burnout was the last Need for Speed I played. Was that? I don't think it's a Need for Speed game. I think it's its own mm. thing. Wasn't it the same developer though? At some point. Oh, uh, I don't know. They've they've switched hands a lot, actually. I'm sure. I'm sure I read. I think they made Burnout, and then EA's like, "Hey, you can make Burnout really well. You can be the Need for Speed developer for like twenty years." And then they got burnt out. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Trent. Ten out of ten for that one. (laughs) Um, On November thirty, we've got Until the Last Plane coming, which is another very indie game for PlayStation Five, PlayStation Four, Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, Xbox Series, and PC. Uh, this is an East Asia soft published one, but it caught my attention because it is a story-driven game about pilots in World War II, but it does seem to be heavily emphasized on the, the story side of things. So if it's like 11-11 or, um, oh gosh, Valiant Hearts, then I'm all on board with that. I'd like more games like that rather than <laughs> Call of Duty. So, yeah, I've got my hopes that that will be in some way that kind of story experience. But in saying that, I probably won't be. So I'll be disappointed again. Um, and then finally, it's not November, but it is December 1. We've got Romancing Saga, Minstrel Song Remastered coming for PS5, PS4, Nintendo Switch, and PC. That's another Square Enix game. Uh, I have never played Romancing Saga, I don't think. That's the PS2 one. Oh, it's... Look... <laughs> That series, they, the whole premise of that series is them just being like standard JRPG conventions. We're tossing them out. I mean, like mechanically. So leveling is weird and character parties are weird. And oh, no, I, I, I've weird. played I've played a lot of the Romancing Saga series. I think that's, that's Square Enix's way of being like really experimental with, like that's their experimental series. That's where they dump all the, the weird ideas just to see what lands. And, mm. um, it works for me. I do enjoy that series. I just haven't played Romance and Saga. I don't think. Oh, Minstrel Song specifically. Yeah, Minstrel Song. Uh, yeah, sorry. The Romance and Saga is the, the genre. Oh, sorry, the series name. 
Minstrel Song I, is the one I don't think I've played. And that is the PS2 one, I think. I do not like Romantic Saga. <laughs> I'm Every sorry. time I'm like, oh, I want to try one. And then I had to read a bunch of manuals to figure out what the hell they're doing. So, <laughs> Yeah, I know it's definitely the oddball of the Square Enix properties. But I'm, I'm looking forward to giving this one a go. See how I go with it. All right. So of all those games, that's a lot of them. Harvard, which one would you pick if you had to pick one? You only had money to buy and play one game. So which one would it be? I just want to point out that if you're a JRPG fan, you would play Harvest Seller for one week and then play um, Tactics Ogre for one week and then Pokemon for one week and then you'd have to play Romantic Saga. So JRPGs are pretty overrepresented, but it's Pokemon. It has to be Pokemon. Pokemon? Yeah, has fair to enough. Be Pokemon. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Trent? I am also playing the Pokemons, especially after that new frog got announced. It's so cool. <laughs> Pokemons. Yeah, me too. This is one of those rare months where we're all the same, I think. Just can't say no to Pokemons. It's just impossible. But what version are we picking? That's that's the next thing. Are we picking the blue version or the red version? Oh, I always go with the blue version. Always. I so. feel like I switched at some point. Black and white, I picked the blue version over the red version. I don't know. But does this, then, one have, like, does this one have exclusive mons to each version? They, all they do. always do. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, they because they do. stopped doing that with Pokemon Arceus, right? They oh, that was, that's because that was just one, one thing. Game. Yeah. But yeah. if there's two titles, you can you can bet they're going to lock. I feel I just feel like like it's a bit pointless doing that these days. The original reason they did that was to encourage people to take their Game Boys out and go and trade. Yeah, it's like a, out it's a remnant about. of the Link Cable era. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's right. It was a remnant of the Link Cable era with the the days of internet trading stuff. It it just seems like it's a a pointless system to include in these things. But again. Who am I to question the wisdom of the people behind Pokemon? Okay, so we are fans of the JRPG genre, as I think anybody listening knows. We all like our epics and our fantasies and all that stuff. Um, we thought we'd have a discussion this week or this month for the, the podcast talking about how developers can go about and publishers can go about sequels for JRPGs, because there's a couple of different ways you can do it. 
And I've I've had this like kind of question rolling around in my head about which is the right way to to go about it for quite some time. So, for example, the Final Fantasy series is largely independent of one another. If you play Final Fantasy four, um, you don't need to have played Final Fantasies one through three to kind of follow along with the plot. If you play Final Fantasy ten, you know that's a self-contained plot that doesn't rely on you knowing what happened in Final Fantasy VIII. But on the other hand, there is the Legends of Heroes series, which is quite famous for um, demanding, all but demanding that you've played every game that's come for it before you can play the next one. And the fans will tell you that too. <laughs> that's, if you dare <laughs> to like a Trails of Game before you've played all the other ones and can talk about how bad this new one is compared to the rest because they really hate new games. Um then they will chew you out for it. But there is an element of truth in there that certainly those games uh, uh, do rely on building on what's happened beforehand and whether you can follow along with the plot or not. And you can with most of them. For example, if you were to play the Trails of Cold Steel series, you can follow along with a plot right from the first one. But a lot of what happens in those games references what happened in the previous Trails of series. So your your experience of the the legends of um trails of cold steel your experience of that one is really enhanced by having played the previous titles so yeah you've been uh, playing trails from zero right no my first trails game was um cold steel oh no, i mean recently though oh yes i went back to them i've also played the psp one via uh <laughs> via, via the high seas uh, methods yeah. console. <laughs> but um yeah so i've I, of the trail series, I've only played the um, Cold Steel series plus those two. So Zero, which was recently re-released, and then Sky. What was the one released? Trails in the Sky is its own Trails in the Sky. Big, long series. Yeah, the first one. Whatever one was released on the PSP in English. Uh, that was mm. that that that's the extent of my trails experience. And when I do say to people, I, I love Trails of Cold Steel so much. Um, the fans absolutely hate me for it <laughs> because I'm not meant to like those games. I'm, I, I'm only meant to like I'm only meant to like the That's early so ones funny. or something or other. The the games got bad or something when they put Elisa in, and uh, who knows? Anyway, um, you know what other series has that same dynamic is when you go, "Oh, I love Atlas JRPGs. My favorite game is Persona Five, and everyone's like, "How dare you not play the five Shin Megami Tensei games?" <laughs> I do that too. When people say I like Persona 5, I'm like, why didn't you play Persona 4, you <laughs> stupid person? Oh, no, no, Persona 5. And, so then, you, and then you say, I like Persona 4, and they're like, why didn't you play Persona 3, you stupid person? Yeah, <laughs> RPG fans are fun. Lots and lots yeah. of fun. Uh, but anyway, what, what are your thoughts about the topic? I mean, do you, would you prefer to play a, a game that has that, that's kind of self-contained each time you go into it, or would you prefer to play something that's part of a, a grander project? I think now that I don't have as much time in my hands, I prefer self-contained games just because the more stuff I need to remember to understand a game's story, the more likely I am to just put it down and not play any more of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think when I was younger, I did appreciate having a longer game just to hold my attention for a bit more. Like I love the Kingdom Hearts series, but that is a series notorious for oh, this is, if this you is don't play really number series. one, you will not <laughs> understand number two, right? Well, and... It Kingdom Hearts is even even more famous now because you've got to have played a mobile game that no longer exists to, to yeah, fully understand yeah. the plot. It's great. 
Yeah, I don't understand how that get, game gets written. How do they just... Do they have a, 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 a almanac of all the terms to make sure they keep it consistent? I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you are right. Kingdom Hearts is another really good example of games that you can probably follow along with the plot jumping in at any point, but fully understanding what it's saying and what it's doing and the, the full context of it really relies on you having played other games as well. Um, but you are right. Like time, time considerations is a big part of it. For example, the Legends of Heroes series, you're looking at, what, a thousand hours now to, yeah, to have played yeah. through all of them. And if you're starting off at ground floor, then that's a that's like trying to watch all of One Piece from episode one and actually <laughs> catch up. And and you're just not going to be able to do that. The Nobody, nobody, even like students, <laughs> even teenagers that come home from school and then spend the rest of their day doing games or anime or whatever, nobody can catch up at a certain point. And I think some games are at that point now. I have been told that well, One Piece is basically time, a like half. Yeah, half, half the games you've mentioned already are like, oh, well, you know, this one I've had to pirate. This one's like some old game on the PlayStation 2. This is from here. Like games with these lengthy, long uh, stories where at the stage where it's like, well, you have to, to fully immerse yourself in the series. You have to uh, go back to the re recently released uh, original sequel. But don't worry about that because that has half the bits, plot points taken out and changed. So you're not getting the full experience. So you have to go pirate the original version and play that on your emulator or hunt down like, you know, some ancient console, which is really hard to find. And then you have yeah. to go back and play the next mm. two re-releases and then play the Nintendo 64 version and then go over here and play this, this, and this. And then, you know, it's really hard to find these games or get them legitimately. Yeah, yeah. you're 100% I mean, right there, Trent. Like, um, this this is an issue with the way that games archiving and availability is handled that uh, once a series hits a certain length, it does become completely inaccessible because... Publishers haven't re-released them, or you're relying on publishers to re-release them. A, a good example again to talk about Trails of the the Legend of the Heroes series. Yeah, it's so hard to get the first chapter on things. Or even and... even even not just that. Like Trails of Cold Steel one and two are getting to the point that they're actually hard to to find. You could play them on PC, yes, but if you're a console player, they're not on Switch. They yeah, haven't they're... been re-released re on on the kind of the the PS5 and and Xbox, so um, th that that's a that's an issue. Like <laughs> you can you can jump in halfway through if you're a Switch player, but you can't play the original two. And this is because entirely because of the the publishing rights are just up in the air and they can't organize themselves. So that's that's definitely a problem. Uh, and that's it's before... also pretty annoying too because the the way the game evolves over time. Like mm. the first games probably don't have the same kinds of quality of life improvements that the newer ones do. So if you go onto the old ones, you feel like you're you're trying to play catch up. You're playing a retro game at this point. Well, that is also another thing. I mean, if you enjoy the game, but you've come in at again, Legends of Heroes. I, I keep talking about Legends of Hero be Heroes because it's just such a good example of the problems it's the, it's with doing this. It's definitely one of the worst cases of this problem. Yeah, yeah. but. If you got in with the Trails of Cold Steel, as the, the Trails of Cold Steel series as I did, you would want to be a big fan of retro RPGs to go back to the earlier ones and experience them. I was able to because I still play Final Fantasy 1 on the NES through every year. So I, I'm good with the grind. I'm good with the archaic kind of systems of old RPGs. 
not a lot of other people are. Um, and more modern players would find it difficult to take, go from Trials of Cold Steel backwards to play the earlier games. So that is another issue. You can't go through and just redevelop these things to improve them, the, the gameplay to the point that it's kind of modern. So uh, I, I would imagine that some people were like that with um, Zero, which is considered one of the all-time greats of the series, and I enjoyed it a great deal. But if it's you like a were... a game, right? Yeah, exactly. If you were a fan of Cold Steel, going back to that is still requires you to be, you know, uh, have a have a bit of nostalgia for retro RPGs. So yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I understand the appeal of doing this. I, I really do. That you've got this kind of concept. You you you've got this concept where it's not about a game; it's about a world. And all the different mm, games yeah. are telling stories within that world. It's kind of like the the Tolkien approach, right? Where Lord of the Rings is just this massive thing that everybody knows and, and loves. But if you get really into it, then you've got the Silmarillion, you've got the Hobbit, you've got all the lore, you've got the history. You've got, got Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Let's not talk about Rings of Power before <laughs> I get really, really upset. But you've got everything but Rings of Power. You've got just so much depth and so many stories and the world really feels like it's a history as a result. And you do get that with Trails of, um, sorry, the Legend of Heroes series as well, where it is more than a game. You feel like you're participating in this like real history of this amazingly complex and detailed world. The appeal of doing so is there, but it is a challenge from a commercial perspective and from an accessibility perspective and everything else. Like the, the, everything about the way the games industry is kind of designed conspires to make that approach to game development very difficult for both the players and the, the developers and publishers. Is there a long series that goes back to like the the SNES days or the NES days? Would you consider East? I mean, East has the same dude. I was gonna say East, but East is good in that there are basically standalone games. The only difference is that they're in the same worlds, whereas Final Fantasy are always in different worlds. But you yeah. can enjoy East from any game starting out, and you don't have to. I must admit, I'm, I'm, I'm not like the most in with the East series i play most of them and they're fine but do they reference previous games like they the, do but you know how final fantasy is like sid right has like the legacy yeah, yeah, yeah. that reincarnates every incarnation um yeah. east is just like that but more so yeah there's going to be references to previous games but you don't need to like they're still meaningful if you haven't played the older game is what i'm trying to say yeah yeah sure understood understood which I, to me is a better approach anyway, because any game can be your entry to the franchise. And if you happen to love the franchise, then you can go back and play the retro games and see how see how it all began. But you're not required to start from the very beginning to even enjoy the more modern titles. Yeah, I must admit, I think the Final Fantasy approach is better <laughs> um, from both the developer and the publisher and the, and the consumer that you can start Final Fantasy at any point and uh, not need to have played the previous ones to get it. Although that's been said, I would su suggest that some of the later Final Fantasies is, is relying a little bit on the, the history of the series a bit. Um, like in particular, Final Fantasy 15, 
the the way the music worked, it would, you know, you, you'd be getting yeah, you know soundtracks from previous Final Fantasy games, and there there were just there there are so many nods to previous games in those series now that it becomes like this kind of in commentary in in a lot of these games. But for the most part, mm. yes, Final Fantasy works independently of one another, and that means that's good for us because it means that we can jump in at any point. We can recommend people particular Final Fantasy games and um, then that can be like their intro to the series if they like it like you said they can go and explore more of them it's also good for the developer and publisher because it means they can try things and if they don't yeah. work in one game you can dump them for the next game like I remember Final Fantasy 8 these days Final Fantasy 8 is actually pretty respected <laughs> but back then back then it was um, it was a nightmare of a game for, for a lot of fans people did not like Final Fantasy 8 and it, they it was really badly explained. The the tutorial in that game does not adequately justify how convoluted the systems are. Well, people hated the draw system because it meant that you'd be spending three quarters of an hour like fighting a bug <laughs> just to yeah. just to draw enough cures out to to match your thing out. So people did not like that combat system. People did not like the characters. People did not like Squall at all. Like they hated him. So their response was to come back with Final Fantasy IX, which was like a a, a swerve way back to the very traditional Final Fantasy, yeah. which people Nine's pretty enjoyed. respected all the way through. Yeah, yeah. And the reason they could do that was because they were independent stories, right? So you didn't have mm. to have Final Fantasy IX talk about what happened in Final Fantasy VIII. You didn't have to reference back to the game people didn't like in the game that people do. So there yeah. is that, like from a development and publisher and business standpoint, it makes more sense to make these games independent of one another. But Final Fantasy is interesting in that it's actually both of these. So I feel like if a Final Fantasy game really sticks, then it'll start, I don't know why I'm going to say pollinating or like sporifying or whatever and making its own big series. So Final Fantasy VII, for example, you're not going to play Crisis Core first, right? You're not going to play yeah. a Dirge of Cerberus, but there is a larger universe to explore if that's what you're into and i think and if perhaps, the game doesn't take off then it doesn't get that same universe like there's no extended universe of final fantasy 8 yeah and perhaps that is the better way of doing things that you have this one game and if it is big enough then you can start to create side stories for it uh, like crisis core and dirge's service and the final fantasy 7 film did anybody see that i did i got very drunk to watch that film i needed it <laughs> it was not final good. fantasy film is great but it was it's so kind of like cool you know, how... in its era but now <laughs> it's not yeah but what i was going to say is it's kind of like how there's um that one which is set like all those final fantasy games which just came out and they're all set in the tactics uh world like the whole yeah it was i think it was 12 was it yeah and it was 12 was set, and then you know. tactics uh advanced and well no the, tactics as well, a bunch of other things yeah the original tactics actually came before 12 um but yeah they're, they're set in the same world that's right and then there was also, the, also DS, the ds games as well the strategy one yeah yeah Revenant yes so that that was another good example of it um Perhaps a not so good example with the Final Fantasy series was Final Fantasy Thirteen trilogy, because you love you love Thirteen Three, right? Oh, I absolutely love it. I think it's one of the best games I've you know, ever played. Um, but I was one of the very can you play Thirteen Three by itself, or do you no. have to play? 13 no, no, you hundred percent have to play both Thirteen and Thirteen Two before you can get to Lightning Returns. You see, so, that just turns me off. That's just like 
Well, that's the thing. If I think you it's... told me I need to play 80 hours of some other game to enjoy one of the best games in existence, I'm like, I'm not playing that. Well, that, that's kind of why it was, I'm pretty sure it was the, the poorest selling Final Fantasy of all time as well, because you lose people, right? Mm. People who played 13, and it itself was quite a controversial game. Again, at the time, these days, it's weird with Final Fantasy, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast in the past. Final like Fantasy has topic. this... Yeah, Final Retroactively, Fantasy has... yeah, they become good. Yeah. We all love Final Fantasy VIII now. Well, Final Fantasy X was hated at launch. Uh, people hated how linear it was. <laughs> now it's one of the most respected Final Fantasy. People hated Final Fantasy XII at launch. Um, people really did not like Final Fantasy XIII. A decade later, for whatever reason, the the prestige of these games seems to kind of grow back. But anyway. Um, I think it's actually because of this new system where whenever they release a new game, because it's not connected to the previous one, people compare it to the previous one and they realize the merits of the previous one now that they're not... Retrospectively, guess, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is there is an element of that, I think. Um, like when 16 comes out, everyone's going to play 15 again and be like, actually, I don't know if 15 is going to have the same thing. I think 15 was very mid, but maybe people will start to love it too. I think I think another part of it is with Final Fantasy series because people try to compare them to previous games, but they're not really comparable because they exist in different universes, have different characters and different whatever. Because yeah. there's no real point of comparison, trying to make a comparison ends up with you being disappointed with how it's done. But given the time of years, you know, given given the span of years, when you can look at it with a more kind of sober mindset that this game's been out for quite a while now and it is what it is and you've come to terms with the systems, when you start looking at it at its own merits, then all of a sudden you start to realise, oh, hang on, it's actually not bad. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think Final Fantasy Thirteen is a good example of that, that people were really annoyed that it was this really, really linear thing. Um, but given you know, a, a, a fair few years, you realize that the linearity was there because it allowed them, because the focus was on the story they were telling and the gameplay was really, you know, in support of that. And then you realize, oh, the story is actually really good. So yeah, yeah. Um, then Final Fantasy 13 suddenly becomes better. As to whether Final Fantasy 15 will or not, I don't know. I, I think that um, once they did all the DLC and stuff, I actually think Final Fantasy 15 actually became a game that people generally liked. So... I think the perception's already there that it's better than it was at It's launch. kind of dampened now. I feel like now that time has passed, people look back and go, yeah, but I don't think that was one of the greats. What I think is nobody's going to be looking for a re-release of that one anytime soon. Well, it's still pretty available, I guess. Well, it's not hard when, to get our hands of. When we get to the next generation of consoles, for example, and if Final Fantasy XV isn't compatible with all, you know, the all next generation this. of console art, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're not compatible with the old ones. Um, whether people are actually out there saying, give us a remake of Final Fantasy XV, I'm not Give sure. us 4, 5, and 6 on Switch. Like... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think just generally to bring it back to the topic, Final Fantasy is a good example of the benefits of making each game independent of one another. Um, and then within that, if there is enough demand, you can start to do things like Final Fantasy VII, like you said before, that you can add extra games and you can find new stories and you can do the remake, which kind of undoes a lot of what the original story did. And you can do a lot of that experimentation. I will say doing that is kind of retrospective. So Final Fantasy VII, when they added Dirge of Cerebus and, and Crisis Core and the movie and all of that, all of that was kind of attached to the, to the base game. So it didn't feel like... Mm. 
there was the world which the you know legend of hero series does there is the world with all the stories to tell within it that was a more proactive approach to this kind of grand plan so it does feel different set out to make legend of the heroes that way like did they start writing with the intention of making four huge games i would have to assume so like there's just no way you could do it otherwise like are there plot points in say trails three or whatever that go oh this had to have been planned from trails one well cold steel four is probably the best example because cold steel four is like the accumulation of everything that happened not just from trails of cold steel but everything that happened with the the series um there are characters that get name dropped in there that i don't think i can't remember actually appeared in cold steel at all until that point so i i, I just can't imagine such a complex project could have been done without some kind of planning beforehand. There's probably some, mm-hmm. you know, gigantic storyboard somewhere or some kind of mind map that shows the the various um, ideas for that series. Mm. That would have had to have been planned guess, out at some point early on. There's also lots of examples of JRPGs where you feel them intending to start a big series and the first game just doesn't really take off and then we don't get it. There is that risk as well. Like if you're going to go into put all the work into to creating this this massive project, and nobody buys the first one, then you're in a bit of trouble. I find that actually that happens more with a lot of Western developers because there are definitely attempts to make huge franchises and they end on cliffhangers and then you just never get the second game. Yeah, absolutely. And and that is the problem um, because the commercial realities come into it and you can only keep making these games if they're going to keep selling. And uh, there's no guarantees anything's going to sell these days. So... Yeah. Which one do you think is more profitable? I mean, if you can, the I I, I guess if you could, it's difficult because I think a lot of the time the commercial challenges make things difficult. But if you could find a way of getting the licensing to the Trails of Cold, so the the Legends of Hero series, you could continue to release those on every platform into forever. And as long as they keep making new games, people are going to have an incentive to go back and play the old games as well. Like Mm -hmm. if they were to release Trails of Cold Steel 1 and 2 and Switch, people would buy that again. Yeah, yeah. Um, And Trails fans are like diehard fans, right? They're they're going to like stand by their their pro-franchise. Whereas there's tons of fans who are like, oh yeah, I like Final Fantasy VII. I have not played anything else in the series. There is that too. Yeah, you, you do definitely cultivate a much more hardcore group. I think you do leave a lot of people out. There are people that will never get into Legends of Heroes because it is so intimidating. Um, it doesn't matter how much they like. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't matter how much you like JRPGs. It doesn't matter even, you know, necessarily how much time you have on your hands for them. The, the There is just the basic reality that those games are quite intimidating in terms of their their scope. And that puts people off. So you do leave some people behind, but on the other hand, you do have people that will then buy literally everything to do with that series. Kingdom Hearts is another good example of that, that the Kingdom Hearts fans are just, they hate it a lot of the time, but they still buy it. (laughs) That's that's so sad, but so true. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of loyalty there, and there's the perception that you do need to participate in every chapter of that, that series, whereas... With Final Fantasy, a lot of people feel like, oh, you know, this one doesn't appeal to me. I can skip this one. Yeah, and that's yeah. okay. Like, 
I, I like the sci-fi side of it, so I'm going to skip 16, or like I like the fantasy side, so I'm going to skip 13 or something like that, right? That's much more common. Yeah, yeah. Whereas no one is going, oh, I'm going to skip Trails 3 because I have work, but next time when it comes out, I'm going to get the next one. Like, that's just not how it works. Yeah, that's right. And that's why a lot of the Trails fans are not employed. <laughs> and just like so that, I've lost, half, <laughs> I've lost half the podcast audience. <laughs>
free for you to throw. I'm a shapeshifter, have no face to show. Please don't take off my mask, my disguise. So we thought we'd get a little bit nostalgic in this podcast and talk about games that we loved uh, back in the day that they were released and has since been put on ice and we haven't seen a new one in quite some time. So basically we're talking about the games that we would like to see brought back because there are a lot of them, even though we do get a lot of HD remasters and full-on remakes these days and we do have those virtual consoles for the the old games to bring them back again. Um, there is still a lot of stuff out there that the only way to access it is via the high seas, which um, it works, but it's not the ideal the way. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not. It's not the way that we would want to do that. We would, most of us would much prefer to actually support these games, and uh, that's the kind of the the last resort for a lot of them. So that is what we're going to talk about here. We'll start with uh, Trent. We're going to go through three games for each of us that we would love to see brought back in some form that um, have been ha- haven't been around since you know, say the PlayStation Two, GameCube era, or before. Before, so Trent, what's your first one? So, because you're limiting me to the GameCube and the PlayStation Two era, I can't talk about the awesomeness of anything from Sing, because you refuse to admit that the Wii and DS era is now retro and don't want to feel old. <laughs> well, you, so... I'll, I'll give you an exception, Trent. You can pick one game from Sing. So, what one game from Sing would you like to see brought back? You know, normally I would go like say like Hotel Dusk and stuff like that, but right now I want more uh, another code. I just feel like. You know, because the character was the aged as it was released, so the release date was the character's age, I feel like there's some stuff I could do now. Ashley would be like, what, 30? Because essentially she's the same age as me because in game lore, so she's like 91. So, yeah, there's stuff they could do with that. But wouldn't... See, the thing with seeing the the Another Code game, right? I, I didn't play the Wii one, I must admit. I did play the DS one there was a lot of stuff that relied on the DS hardware, right? That would make it difficult to bring that game back. Like, I get the sense that more than anything else, that's probably the problem that they face with that series. Well, the Wii one did the gimmicks of the Wii. So, like, anything that which were puzzles were based around the Wii mode. And the Wii version also started to move away from more puzzle stuff. It was more story-based as well. Uh, in that sense, like it was less gimmicky if there were puzzles. So they could do essentially that with the Switch. And because the Switch essentially has two Wii modes, they could kind of do similar sort of concepts there anyway. Yeah, the Switch has a lot of gimmicks. I mean, even the PS5 controller has a lot of gimmicks. They could they could do something like that. 
Yeah, I guess it, it's more for me that if you're going to bring that series back, you would need to bring those original games, and that's that's kind of the problem. You need to give people the ability to to step in um, and, and re-experience those. The DS one had things like you had to close the lid of the DS to solve some puzzles, and um, that would be hard to emulate, I guess. But then again, that was know, also I should find a way anyway. Did that that stamping sort of motion was like pretty much pioneered, I guess, in another code. Like WarioWare and all that were kind of later in the DS's life. So um, it was, it was a feature. pretty unique puzzle. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And yeah. same so was the blowing on in the microphone. That was uh, relatively new because uh, another code came out pretty much like only, I think it was a launch title in Japan. It was really close to launch, the, like the original game. And yeah, it was one of those so, games that came out in that era where they were like, we have all these tools in the DS, let's use all of them. What I, what I liked about it was that they didn't necessarily tell you that was the solution to the puzzle. You had to play around with your DS physically to figure out some of that stuff. So I really liked that. Uh, it, it would be good to bring it back for sure. Um, Harvard, what about you? What would be your first choice? Uh, so, oh, I just realized that we get a free one from the, the GameCube. And the, what is it? The, um, the next era. Can I, can, I, can I steal that opportunity as well? And say yeah, right. Nintendo Land. Sure. That's that that's like back? a new game, dude. <laughs> no, it's not. It's from it's such era. a new game. It's not a new game. Oh, it's a new that's game. That's from basically the same time as another trace card. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the concept is cool, right? The idea of just having like mini games from all these franchises that they have and really committing to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I like Nintendo Land. That was. That was the closest I got to enjoying the Wii U. Um, it it was good. It, it definitely made good use of both the, of the hardware. I think um, it was Nintendo's effort to to do Wii Sports, but for the Wii U to to use a game to explain the console to people. Yeah, and but I think the concept it was... of it is having all the franchises have their own little outing and mechanically explore things that were meant to be enjoyed with friends or just for a little while and bring back new life to all these franchises we haven't seen in ages. I think that's just such a cool concept and I'm so sad they didn't do that with the Switch. Well, they did that um, one, two... That's whatever. not the same thing at all. That was not the same thing. <laughs> that's like that the way the... play of the Switch. Like, it's not really <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> that, that was the game that they used to do to explain the switch to people they did but they and didn't the guy, they the didn't guy on the trailer where he's the... like this is ice shakes the controller <laughs> <laughs> uh one two switch is a very different game and no one's uh maybe i can't think of anyone in 20 years being like oh yeah that game where you shake the champagne bottle that's a that's a game you need to bring back <laughs> See, we play at least had the cow game and all the other stuff i just don't think one two switch really had that connection with people like the Wii Play was everyone's like, oh, you got to play Wii Play to get the cow game. And I think the tank game the was also game. in Wii Play. Oh, people love yeah. the tank game. The tank, the tank game, game was good from Wii Play. Is, yeah, is the tank still game was got good. life today. <laughs> it was right. like five games that I just said. <laughs> so that was your not actually retro at all game. Very good, Harvard. <laughs> it's retro. Uh, <laughs> you can't get for, it now. For, for me, I'm going to start by going back to the PS2 and say chaos legion the reason for that is actually chaos legion is one of my favorite games for the ps2 era and it is one of the few that just doesn't work on anything that you acquire via the high seas 
Like it's just, it's a game that's beyond the processing power of like all these devices. And um, even on PC, I think the emulator struggles with it as well. It just doesn't work. So they haven't quite figured that one out yet. So I haven't been able to play Chaos Legion since it was on the PS2. And that annoys me greatly because it was an excellent game. And um, one of those ones I think that people would realize was better than it was back in the time because i remember when it was released it was getting you know fives and sixes from most places but the problem was it was releasing at the same time as devil may cry um and aesthetically it looked vaguely similar so of course the critics were like oh this is just a bad devil may cry but it's actually an entirely different game and um, oh is it does... like a beat-em-up no it's it, it's like um it is a it is a beat-em-up it, like superficially it is like devil may cry it's an action game with you know um that kind of thing but the difference is rather than doing the fighting yourself you need to summon these units into the battlefield to do the fighting for you and you've got like a bunch of different types of units there's some defenses some attack there's ranged units and whatever and you've got to summon the right units for the situation uh and that it's not strategy it's it's still action but um it added some tactical depth to it and it, it was really neat and it it was a very um story-driven thing where the developers explicitly said that this has been inspired by opera like this is an operatic game like that's explicitly what they were out there talking about which is of course the quickest way to kill the commercial potential of a game ever but it worked for me i i really liked it it was uh, this really neat game and i haven't been able to play it since because nobody's managed to get it to work so just fix you know re-release it Capcom, you 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 re-released all the Devil May Cry games and Onimusha and the rest of them. Oh, is it Give also me... a Capcom game? Yeah, it's a Capcom game. Give me Chaos Legion back. Just stop being bastards and do it. I've heard you describe this game a few times, and I still have no clue what it is like. Yeah, Every imagine time I find out something new about it. <laughs> imagine what Devil... I can gather from Matt's explanation is it's basically Elden Ring, but you just play summons. No, not like that. <laughs> See, you, you have no clue, Matt. It's like, the, the, like I said, the best way to describe it is it's like Devil May Cry, but rather than doing the fighting yourself, you 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 summon units into the battle to do, and the units are like five, like four or five, like soldiers per per summon. So do you control them, or are they like AI no, they 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 go and fight themselves, but the when they're summoned you're pretty you you you, your character slows down a lot and so pikmin pikmin uh, yeah it sounds like you know and you throw the pikmin and then you've got like a group of like warriors i guess and then but instead of like one single pikmin when you spawn them it's like a group of them and then they go out and attack like i mean people like yeah the the best the best comparison is a game that I know you two haven't played, but um, the Knights of Azure games that uh, Koei Tecmo developed. I have I have played those games. Okay, so I also they're... don't understand those games. <laughs> they're probably the closest to a, being a spiritual successor to Chaos Legion that we've got. Okay. Um, so that's oh, okay. vaguely what they're like. Um, and yeah, it, it it is a uncommon thing, and it would just be nice to see it brought back. So maybe I played Knights Capcom. of Azure wrong. Because I was playing it like a Warriors game and ignoring no. all the summons. No, no. Was I gotta... supposed to actually spec into the summons? Yeah, the, the summons were 99% of that game. Like, ah. you were, it was impossible to finish without doing that, without so that's engaging with that it. system. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely why you didn't like it. <laughs> Trent, your second pick. 
Well, I'm going to go with a GameCube game, like, uh, but a lot of the GameCube games are more like, you know, I've had like spiritual successes or like, you know, games in that sort of genre anyway, like, you know, Dosh and the Giant, you know, there's been, you know, other sort of like, you know, God games, which, you know, replicate that or Griffpedia, like that looks cool, like an Animal Crossing game only came out in Japan, but really there's been a lot of indie games which do that. So what I'm going to go with is um, Nintendo's era of pinball games right at the end were really great. Like you had like Metroid Pinball on the DS and then you also had Odama on the GameCube. And I really think that we just need some crazy, bizarre pinball games from Nintendo again. Yeah, they did a couple of them, didn't they? Because there was also Mario Pinball. There's Pokemon uh, Pinball, and which was a very Pokemon... good series. Pokemon Pinball. So actually, Nintendo did do quite a lot of pinball games. I don't think I ever played the Metroid one, but I did play the other ones. They were good. Pinball's a hard sell now, though, because Is it? you can't do a... Well, you'd have to do like an eShop pinball game. It'd be a very a much more niche thing. Whereas I, I definitely remember back in the, the days where you had to go to a game store, you were more likely to pick up a pinball game off the shelf and be like, oh, yeah, I'd buy that. I don't know. Like I, I think that pinballs had a real resurgence in resurgence in recent years. So among theme, certain audiences, theme, theme pinball would probably do quite well. You might need to do a couple of different tables, but if you're to take, you know, four or five of Nintendo's properties, and do pinball tables around each of them, that could be pretty. Actually, good. yeah, that would be awesome. That would work. You could say it could be a Nintendo Land style game. Land style game with people. <laughs> I mean, you, the, Nintendo's, Nintendo's got so many interesting properties. I mean, imagine imagine a Xenoblade Chronicles pinball. That would be great. That sounds ridiculous. That would be amazing. The Skyrim pinball that Zen Studios did was really good. So Xenoblade Chronicles pinball would be great. I feel like DDNet is one of the sites that genuinely does put a lot of coverage into pinball, mostly owing to your interest in it, Matt. I can't think of a lot of other games press that will talk about pinball specifically about what makes each table unique. Normally they'd just be like, oh, it's a pinball game. You know what this is. Next. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but by the same token, somewhere there's coverage for Zen Studios because otherwise they wouldn't be able to continue doing what they do with pinball. And Zen pinball is pretty huge these days. So there is some kind of audience out there and they are talking about the games in some way. And I, I do think that Nintendo, because a lot of pinball has always been about the property. Uh, and to this day, the new pinball tables that get made around Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy and whatever else, they're always based on a property. It's about taking the property and turning it into a pinball thing. Nintendo has got the most valuable properties there is. So it's kind of a slam dunk idea to turn it into a pinball collection. I would think. They could they could work with Zen Studios, <laughs> you know, like they just get Zen Studios to create a bunch of Nintendo pinball games. Zen Studios has done that before. They worked with uh, Koei Tecmo to make a Ninja Gaiden pinball table quite a while while ago, and it was excellent. So there you go. If anybody from Zen Studios is listening, just talk to Nintendo and make this happen. That would be great. Harvard, what about you? What's your second choice? Second choice. This is a very personal one for me. It's going to be Jet Set Radio. But in a very Didn't they make a spiritual way, sequel to that sometime they, recently? Probably. Oh, yeah, they did. There was like Bomb Rush something. I can't know what it was called. People keep trying to make spiritual successes. It never quite hits the same. And I think the 
the reason why is because they keep fixating on the gameplay side of things, which is kind of like a skating game, not really like a skating game, much more like a platformer where you're trying to make your way through levels, get to certain points as fast as you can and not fall off obstacles, which is right. very different from what you expect from like a 24 game, right? It's not about pulling off cool tricks. It's actually about learning the small sandbox level, finding the correct path and then getting through it as quickly and as successfully as you can. But right. the good thing about that series, though, is actually the style, the graphics, and the music, especially. So the experience of playing it is like feeling like you're in the late 90s. And the newer games haven't been able to capture that quite as well. And that's why they can't bring it back either. Maybe licensing yeah, they can't. a nightmare for that thing, for that series. Oh, uh, It's not too bad. They actually got it back on in 2013 with the HD remaster. A lot of the music is actually oh, in house. Right. So oh, I see, a, I see. There's a composer, Hideki uh, Naganuma. He's he's responsible for about half the soundtrack. And there's a, right. a couple of licensed tracks from Japanese indie bands that I think I got cut out. But yeah, it's it's just two of its time. And if you wanted to make a new one, you would be effectively making a period piece. You would be making a, here is what people in the 90s thought the 90s was like, instead of anything even slightly modern. Well, there is still an audience for that. Like, I, I've never played Jet Set Radio, I must admit, so I, I don't know about that game. But I do know that uh, a lot of other games that are kind of of that time and of that period, like Crazy Taxi and um, Cruisin World, Cruisin USA, whatever, the, the Midway Cruisin series, they mm. all got spiritual sequels and or official new titles. And they were they were very, very well received. There is definitely a, an audience out there these days for for people that are nostalgic. Um and that's why we we do see a lot of these remakes, remasters, and retro style or retro console releases and stuff. There is a huge audience out there for the nostalgic. So I don't think that saying, "Oh, this is you know a product of the '90s" is necessarily a, a negative for a game. I think that's okay these days, and they'd still find an audience anyway. It might not be. I think it depends on the nostalgia cycle. Maybe the nostalgia cycle is not there yet. It might, it might well, not sell as well. I think it's close. I think it's awfully dangerous to say that the 90s is a good thing to be nostalgic about. Uh, I mean, 80s had that, you know, there was more fun and I guess, you know, stuff which people took out of the 80s. 90s, I don't know, like 90s was really more of the same of the 80s, but then they're like, let's ruin it. And then it was that really <laughs> awkward transitional like decade before it became like what the early ooze had and then like, you know, that that then became the tens. Like I really, I really think the the decade. Well, when I was like zero to like twenty was the worst. Like, <laughs> once we got out of the tens, I, I I think you know, like media and stuff started to find its own style. I I really like that really nineties, especially early ooze was just gross. Don't be nostalgic that, right? for it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know about that. As somebody that grew up in in the nineties, you know there there is certainly elements about the music culture and whatever that uh, I I feel nostalgic for when it happens. Um, you were too young, Trent. That's the difference. It's definitely oh, yeah, that, that was good. It's a specific music. taste. It's Ish. like almost like you're laughing at yourself. The the grungy music and the the outlandish clothing and just the the kind of like over the top rebellion, but not rebellion. I really like that atmosphere and that's really clearly captured in jet set radio of all things cool well, you, gotcha 
Just play Splatoon. But that's that's pretty much my takeaway. Just play Splatoon. Splatoon is no Splatoon <laughs> is a relentlessly twenty twenty two game. Same style, same no. music, Splat- culture, Splatoon is... just squids. <laughs> Splatoon is relentlessly twenty twenties. <laughs> that's just what it is. Um, okay, so for my second pick, I'm going to go with the classic horror series. Clock Tower. I'd like to see Clock Tower come back. There was a time where Capcom, this is Capcom 2 two from 2 for me so far, but Capcom was like this amazingly uh, experimental publisher back on the PlayStation 2. Uh, Clock Tower 3, then there was Haunting Ground, then there was Gregory Horror Show, there was Rule of Rose. They just kept pushing out these... Oh, did they publish Rule of Rose? Yeah, they did. Interesting. There was just all these relentlessly... Um, creative horror games that they were pushing out and um some of them didn't review particularly well but again in time since they've become quite well respected like clock tower 3 and haunting ground in particular didn't do great reviews at the time but in the years since these days people look back at them and and see their qualities and see where they're because back in those days there was the ability to to do horror in a way that wasn't just about you know big ugly monsters that you shoot there was the opportunity to do horror where you can't fight back stalker horror style things and yeah, a whole bunch of other things for that era there, yeah i can't was. think of anything that came before that it was i mean the the actual point and click horror clock towers one and two were a little bit like that but being point and click games there was a a little bit different in the execution, but yeah, this was all quite new back in those days. And you I know what like... they also published. They also published Glass Rose, which was a sing game. Mm. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's but... also a horror. <laughs> I, I, I don't necessarily like where horror has gone in the years since. There are some individual horror games I like, but for the most part, horror has just become action games with monsters and, uh, or bloody action games, sorry, with monsters. And to me, that's not really horror. Horror obviously has a lot of violence and has a lot of bloodletting. But you look at cinema and stuff, uh, horror is not about that anymore. That's kind of a part of the, the storytelling process. And I think that video games have taken horror in a spectacularly stupid direction that I, I'm really not a fan of. So when I look at the horror games that I really enjoyed, it's almost always back to that PS2 era. And of those games, kind of Clock Tower 3 is is my personal favorite. So I would like to see that series make a return. Did you ever play the the Red Candle games? So Detention and Devotion? Yeah, I played um, Detention. That was good. I find I also, that they take a bit of inspiration from those series. They do. They do. I, I also played the Korean one that had two White games. Dead. The Coma. The Coma. The Coma, yeah. yeah. And they were they were similar as well, um, but we're talking about very indie things here. The Clock Tower Three and the Haunting Ground and whatever they were major releases from a major. Oh publisher. yeah, they were too. Yeah, so different kind of scale these days. Major horror releases are just, you know, the Evil Within and um, and like I've been told the Resident Evil, Evil Village. Village. I like good. I, I like Resident Evil Village. Don't get me wrong; I really enjoyed it. In fact, it's uh, a different it a thing. Very, yeah, very positive review. But it is an all-action kind of, you know, big violence game that is intense. But it's not for me. Horror is as much about the mind as it is about the visceral thrills, and mm. it, that is definitely lacking. Even the Silent Hill. I mean, I'm really, really excited for 
the announcements that they've just made about Silent Hill. Um, I'm not. I'm not as, as we that. talk as, as we talk about this uh, last week, you know, as we record this podcast last week, Konami had a big thing where they announced all of their Silent Hill roadmap, and while some of it is is something to be cautiously optimistic about, I don't think uh, I'm not expecting too much from the Silent Hill Two remake, given that it's a Bloober Team project. But yeah, I don't trust the, them at all. There's a new Silent Hill coming that has the writer behind Higurashi um involved the higurashi horror visual novel series and that promises to be something spectacular because it's taking silent hill back to where i think silent hill should be which was silent hill one two and three were these psychological horror games that were much more about the mind than the visceral thrills after that the series you know progressively became much more about just violent bloodletting because it started to be developed by western developers i think that's personally where I think. As that someone who last played Shad Memories and was like Shad Memories is like the pinnacle of Silent Hill, I'm actually really excited for like all the new stuff. F looks really, really good, and I think that's different to the other one you mentioned, Matt. Or is it the one? No, you no. Mentioned? F, is two? F F is the one that the <clears throat> um, Higurashi when they die writer is involved with. Yeah, that's, but there's the, the other, there's another one as well, which is a new Silent Hill, which also looks relatively okay. Yeah, I yeah. must admit I didn't pay attention to that. I was too excited from the F uh, announcement. I'm just a bit yeah, wary that the they best. announced five at once. That just seems odd to me. I don't really know what what's so weird about it, but oh, they're just re they're they're planning on relaunching the series. That's really what it is. Like mm. the idea is to make a big explosion with this by giving people a lot of different Silent Hill games and try and reestablish it as a major horror franchise so i don't have a problem with that after so many years of being on ice it's good that konami is actually investing in the series but um and developing games again yes <laughs> yeah so some of the some of those silent hills are, i'm not sure about like i said i i don't mind bloober team i don't think they're right for silent hill 2 um i but there are other ones which give me a lot of hope that somebody out there is going to try and recapture what horror should be to me rather than just big action um what about you trent what's your third pick so i'm more for actually i just realized i could actually instead of saying what my third pick was originally going to be i was going to say ice climbers i could actually say survival kids because survival kids is yes. on the game by color yes yes, <laughs> yes because i was so, going to say that but i wasn't so i totally agree bring it back bring that back yeah so so like it ended up becoming lost in blue and lost in blue had the free games on the ds uh i mean they progressively got better i really did like the third ds game i think but i feel like they were very samey in terms of their directions people stopped um, playing them unfortunately people played the yeah. first one and they weren't i don't need to play the second one i know what this, this is about yeah because the, the original ds one was like oh this is what we will do on the ds and then it was very rough and then i think the second one was like a little bit of improvements and it was getting back into the mojo of what survival kids really was at its core and then the third one was like really really good at that and the wii one was also i actually didn't mind the wii one like the wii one was enjoyable um but yeah by that point everyone would lost interest in the series but i mean the original two survival kids games like the second one was like you know crazy in terms of how it went with like the evil lair guy evil villains like like you've got the lava mountain you get helicoptered to the lava mountain like it's just like what can we do to make this evil villain on this island like 
you know, compelling and just ticking over a box like, you know, it's like some kind of James Bond villain. Like you're on a lava island, you know, you've helicoptered in, like, and you got kidnapped. Like it's crazy what two did, but two never came out in the West. And yeah, people in the West yeah. don't even know it's a full series. They're just like, oh yeah, I remember that one Lost in Blue game on the DS. But there's a whole lineage of Game Boy games, and I think there's one on the Advance as well. There's so many games in that series. And I think the, the challenge for them to bring that back would be that everybody would be expecting it to be a survival game. Oh, and but that's the thing. They're not. They're not even anything I know, like but it would survival be, games that we have. It would be difficult to resist the temptation to make it a survival game because that is kind of the expectation for like that kind of game. Survival stuff was at its core. Like you did, ha- but it was like, like Matt, you really hate like survival games in terms of the realisticness of like, oh, let's go kill a deer. But like let's the original ones deer. were, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, no, you know, no. I don't, I don't like shoot, get attacked by this bear. I, I don't like survival <laughs> games because they tend to be like just just a grind. I, I I have no interest in chopping up a wood log to get seventy thousand sticks so I can build a little hut. That just doesn't appeal to me. Um, well, well, the original liked... games had those mechanics. Like they, they were very the core. Like you just got, but they were just more simplified. You want like twenty thousand bushes, and then you get a thing. It was like, okay, well, let's go collect like one or two sticks from the beach. Let's collect like a like a ropey vine thing, and then suddenly we've got a fishing rod. Like the mechanics to build things were a lot more simpler. Even the DS and the Wii one, like it wasn't overly crazy in terms of what yeah, survival yeah. games end up becoming yeah, yeah. I, I, but the focus I, is more on the characters and the relationship between the characters i thought what that series did so well was that yes it had you making resources to survive but that was always connected to people that you care about and here's people that you want to keep alive and you want to stay with you as you find your way up the island yeah yeah yes, I, I, I really more, it was a dating sim <laughs> I, I did enjoy Isn't everything I... I did enjoy Survival Kids on on the Game Boy. I I did enjoy it a great deal, but yeah, I I just think that it would be difficult for them to make that game to bring it back because the expectations about what they could do with it would be would be not not particularly interesting. Anyway, uh, they Harvard, could do your a Netflix pick. Castaway TV show. <laughs> Harvard, your third pick. Uh, third pick. I'm gonna go with the just the concept of Game and Watch. Because I played the GB, the first time I actually played them was the virtual console on the 3DS, I'm showing my age here, and they had the gallery releases of the original Game & Watch games, but they also had Nintendo-styled, for then, modernizations. This is people in the 90s modernizing a game from the 70s, uh, and they are such good games. They are really, really excellent games, unexpectedly fantastic for when they were made. To the point that you could play the original one from the 70s and just have a great time. 70s, 80s, I don't remember. Um, but I was surprised at how well each one individually is designed. They're so timeless. Not in a Atari Pong is great for its time game, but a I could play this in 2022 and have a fantastic time doing it. Yeah, uh, it is surprising to an extent, I think, that they've stopped doing the Game & Watch Gallery releases um i don't think they have faith in the premise anymore i think well they think i, I just old. don't think I, I i just don't think they can think of a way to make them you know um worthy of a release in in 2022 because i think with the gba game and watch um that was basically everything that was pretty much all the major game and watch games and they did modernizations of pretty much all of them 
So there wasn't too much more they could do with it. Um, but I agree, it would be nice to see them continue to to find ways of releasing this stuff and yeah, I uh, make it accessible because uh, a lot of people really should play them and understand, you know, this was the, the history of Nintendo. This is the first handheld games. This is what they used to be like. And this is what people loved back in those days. So, yeah, it, it would be good to see them find some way to bring them back. It'd be great if they could, like, create some new ones <laughs> um, well i did hardware for the mario and zelda uh anniversaries but they were just like oh let's chuck some nes games on them sort of thing like they yeah they, that wasn't like, that was zelda an actual and game mario of... have heritage in game and watch and they could have done some really good stuff there yeah that that wasn't actual game and watch hardware that was like a just a a little handheld you know gaming console so but you're you're right they it would be great if they just created some new designs and um, packaged them up somehow in a way that was like a celebration of the history of Game & Watch plus some new stuff. What would Game & Watch be like in 2022? That would be pretty cool. That would be amazing. I didn't even think of that, but imagine that just having that would be so cool. Mm. Um, and then for my last pick, I'm going to go with Lost Kingdoms. The reason for this is uh, From Software is kind of stuck these days. Um, they were a little bit too successful with Demon Souls and Dark Souls and now Elden Ring. That's basically all they're ever going to be making for the rest of their existence. But before that, before those days, they were a pretty experimental developer. They created a whole bunch of very different game ideas. And Lost Kingdoms was probably my favorite of those. It was a GameCube game where <laughs> you collected a deck of cards and you would... Uh, run into enemies on on the field and then you would fight those enemies by actually summoning the cards to the battlefield so actually not that similar to chaos legion i guess um and it had the mechanics of you know collectible card game or trading card game but it was fought out in real-time battles um with with the deck of cards so uh a lot of people would say bait and katos they'd love to see that one come back uh lost kingdoms was like the the real-time version of bait and katos with uh with a very similar sort of kind of card collecting mechanic. So that, that would be my pick. I, I would love to see that back. There was some good stuff on the GameCube that was um, very much below the surface. The GameCube would have, did not get too many releases, and the ones that people tend to think about today tend to be the ones that Nintendo themselves created. But there was some good stuff from third parties on GameCube that has been largely lost to time, unfortunately. Yeah, it's sad that Nintendo's kind of drawn the line at uh, retro emulation on the N64, and they just haven't seemed to want to step any further than that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the Nintendo Online thing has a lot of work to do. They should be putting GameCube games on there. They should be putting the GBA and Game Boy games on there as well, but that's another the conversation like for another day. Up to the GameCube and the Game Boy Advance games, that's going to be like, oh, well, the Switch 2 is coming out now. Time to start it all over again. That's I mean... what I thought. Yeah, it's... It's not too far away from when we would expect the next Switch or the next Nintendo console to come out. And you can just see they're going to do NES and SNES games again. But, you know, uh, Lost Kingdoms wouldn't happen anyway because it was an Activision-published game, and I can't imagine Activision wanting to to go to the effort uh, again to to bring back something from well, the very obscure potentially publishing library. Potentially, if it approves, by, owned by Microsoft, like it could be Microsoft's like, Let's get some stuff out of the vault. Like that's true. We do have um Goldeneye. We do have um Banjo Kazooie. There is that, I guess. Who knows? Fingers crossed that would be pretty good. It's like the only good thing about 
corporate consolidation <laughs> is that all these old titles come back. Well, for as long as it becomes worth it while doing it. I, I have no faith in Microsoft doing things for for benign reasons. Um, <laughs> they're not exactly a pleasant company. But anyway, um, that's another conversation for another day. That is that is our list. That is our games that we would like to bring back that we played, we loved, and um, haven't had a chance to play again since. Thank you very much, everybody, for, for tuning in to the podcast this month. It was a, a good chat, and thanks, Trent and Harvard, for being involved. Uh, and I don't have anything else to say. Do chat to let us know how you what you thought about the podcast and your own games, if there were any that you would uh, like to mention that you would like to see bring back. Do let us know. Uh, we do like to hear back from people, and we will see you next month. Thank you.